Welcome back to another episode of When Banned Things Happen to Good People, a podcast about censorship and the arts. My name's Todd Sullivan, and joining me today is Jason Hewlett. Hello. And uh, we are talking about the 1984 horror film, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Jason, how are you? I'm great, Todd. How are you, man? I am very well. I'm so excited to have you uh, on the show today. Well, it's great to be on the show today. It's been it's been like many moons since I've talked movies on a podcast. So this, this is great. Brilliant. And I think I think at this point in my life, I need to start warning anyone when I meet them that it's only a matter of time. Like if you're gonna converse with me at all before I invite you on a podcast as a guest. So well, I, we're getting we're getting this out of the way early on. So <laughs> that's, well, that's great, right? I just might as well why wait? Let's just do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I met I met Jason earlier this year when I was doing uh, a documentary on uh, ghost hunters and such here in Kamloops. And uh why don't you tell me a little bit about uh your work in that field? Well yeah, I guess I, I'm I'm co founder of uh, Canadian Paranormal Foundation, which runs out of Kamloops here, along with my colleague Peter Wren, who's been doing this profession all over the world for about 30 years. I've been doing it for about 18-ish or so, professional, well, quote-unquote professionally for about four <laughs> or five. Um, so we do that, plus a uh, YouTube documentary series called We Want to Believe, uh, which is kind of like the real version of those crappy shows people watch on television, like on the Travel <laughs> Channel and stuff like that. We try to show it like it really is. Um, yeah. But I mean, my background, I mean, I, I was in journalist, I was a journalist, professional journalist, you know, for a good number of years at the Daily News, crime reporter. I've got a film and journalism background. I did, I did a film podcast actually for 11 years, which just wrapped up called We Came oh, From wow. The Basement. And it was, um, recently it ran for three years on Radio NL. We had a primetime show on Radio NL. Okay, we that's did cool. That. And our, our, one of our claim to fames is uh, we actually started Dark Fest. Back in 2012, we did the first Dark oh, Fest in 2012 cool. with the Count's very Film cool. Society way back in the day. So I do ghost stuff, and, and I used to be bigger into the film stuff. So that's probably what makes me excited and honored to be here on your show talking about the movie we're talking about tonight. Yeah, which is a movie that um, I was culturally familiar with, but somehow even though I grew up in the middle of the sort of the, the horror boom of the 1980s, I've still never seen this one until until just this week. Oh, wow. Um. And in fact, it was, and I didn't even really know that there was all this controversy around it until like we were having a, a drink a couple of weeks ago when you, you told me about it when I told you about this podcast, like, have you covered this movie? And I didn't even know anything about it. Well, it's, it's a new experience for you then, this film. Absolutely. Place, right? Yeah. Which is, Absolutely. Which is cool. um, I remember the controversy about it uh, because I was just, I think I was 12 when it came out. And I remember just hearing, I, I was big into Entertainment Tonight. Of course, Leonard Bolton mm-hmm, was on mm-hmm. Entertainment Tonight, and I just remember yep. the, watching the review with him just trashing it. it. Yeah, I looked at some of the, um, I, and I, I I saw his, but then I also noted and, and made a note that uh, Siskel and Ebert, um, they not only did they condemn the film, they went so far as to read the names of the film's production crew on air Telling them, shame on you. I remember that that one too. Because I was a big fan of Siskel and Ebert and watching their show weekly. So they 
they really were not a fan of the the slasher movies of the era, if I recall correctly. They shat on a lot of those. All but the like the original Halloween. Like they were both yeah, fans of that, right? Which that's fair. Most people were. Like honestly, most critics were. And it's just it was the trickle down effect of all the Halloween sequels and then the spin-offs. But what not spin-offs, but like you know, rip-offs, which this was one of mm-hmm. Silent mm-hmm. Night, Deadly Night, right? So the one thing I was thinking as I watched this movie is like it, it is back in that heyday of all you needed to make kind of a horror movie is uh, a holiday that hadn't been done yet, um, a, a moderately uh, acceptable script, and some women who were, were able to take their shirts off, and that's that's really all you need. That was it. Like it was that was it was the epitome of exploitation mm-hmm. films, right? I mean, and and they were huge in the seventies. Um, and this was just sort of, I think, the evolution of it. These were the 80s equivalent of drive-in films, like the Grindhouse right, drive-in sure. films. For sure. Right? Um, and it's interesting that this, why, obviously we'll get to talking about why it, why it was sort of banned, but like just how so much attention was paid to this one um, and, and not so much others, where, like, where it really incited people to protest out in front of the theater. I mean, there, there was a movie like this called Christmas Evil which even yeah. had similar marketing that nobody gave a rat's ass about. They just ignored it. But for some reason, this one captured people's parents' attention mostly, and that just created so was a there problem. was there a killer Santa Claus in Christmas Evil as well? Because I haven't seen that one. Either. There was even the posters even got a, killer, a guy dressed in a Santa Claus suit, you know, with with a, with a weapon in his hand. Like I, I haven't well, seen I Christmas know. Evil either, just because I mean, there's only so much. Killer Santa Claus movies, I think anyone should be able to digest, I feel like right? one is kind of, you know, enough. Yeah, yeah, the, the one's enough. This was the one that I kind of went, well, actually, I'd watched the loose remake Silent Night, which came out in 2012. How was that? That's really good. I, it's an annual watch for me. I had interviewed the director, Stephen C. Miller, on on We Came From The Basement, right right when the movie had come out. And, I mean, it had, you know, Malcolm McDowell's in it. Yeah, right, J- exactly. Jamie King. It was a good cast. It was well-made. Um, it's very loosely follows the story, but it's a killer in a Santa Claus costume, killing people. Yeah. Um, and even that one didn't piss anybody off when it came out. We, I think we just, it was just that right moment in history with Silent Night, Dead Yeah, because, I mean, obviously by the 2000s, people aren't going to be quite as uptight about it. And, and you know, I think, I guess there was something about the, the sanctity of, of Christmas and the, I don't know, the the cultural kindness of of santa claus as a figure and the perversion of that and i mean this probably in the middle of you know family values stuff under like you know during the reagan eras you know everything's everything's family values you can't pervert family values and so yeah you're right it's probably that combination of uh just the right time um i thought it was interesting too that like this film really only ran in theaters for about a week yeah before they pulled it 10 days and it made $2.5 $2.5 million off of their, what was the budget? I have this here somewhere. I don't, I don't see it, but, but yeah, it was like $2.5 million off of something like a $750,000 budget in 10 days, which is pretty good. really. Especially back in 80s standards. You know what I mean? Like yeah. back then, if you inflated the dollars, you're probably looking at more like 20 million. Yeah, now. for sure. Um, and, I, and you can only imagine what would happen had it just kept playing. And I mean, they attempted to re-release it later with the controversy, yep. right? Like, because it was—I think part of it too is this was like a this was TriStar Pictures, which back in the day was a major studio. They released mm-hmm. big movies, um, and so they'd put a good marketing budget behind it. They had like ads on television, 
Yeah. Right. Which I think is what got them. They had it like during the, you know, the primetime family hour, like three's company had ads and, you know, from between eight and 10 o'clock. So there's people mm-hmm. watching, there's kids watching it. And I guess just kids that unnerved enough children that they got complained to the parents and then the parents went out and started protesting and they even got the kids with We Love Santa placards walking in front of movie theaters protesting this film. And I guess everyone just got cold feet and said, we can't, we got to pull the, the trigger on this and get it out of the cinemas. In a way, it's it's almost weirdly cyclical because you have the character in this film is a kid who is traumatized by the sight of a terrifying Santa Claus. So, I mean, that's in a way what the marketing was doing to these kids, right? They, they were seeing this terrifying Santa Claus figure and traumatizing the kids seeing the commercials. Basically, I guess. I, I haven't heard of anyone becoming a killer Santa Claus from having watched the commercials for Silent Night, Deadly Night. So no, I guess that did that's because they, they managed to pull it just in time. Yeah. Just in that, they pulled the ads just in time to prevent that from happening. Another week and it would have been, they would have been everywhere. Mass murdering Santa Clauses all across <laughs> North America, right? It's uh, Exactly. So what, like watching the film, Todd, like what are your thoughts having actually watched the film after all this, especially after all this time? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I thought it was kind of garbage. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's it's not a particularly uh, great film. Um, and I mean, I'll get into issues that I had as as we talk about, you know, the, the plot. But it's. I don't know, like I didn't care about any of the characters. Um, there is literally one character that I thought was a decent human being. That was the kindly nurse mm-hmm. or nun. Sorry. I keep saying nurse when I mean nun. Everybody else was pretty much terrible. <laughs> um, I barely knew what the characters names were. I actually had a note halfway through my notes. Like, do any of these characters have names? Cause they're just introduced. <laughs> and we, the, the, the guy who works at the, in the stock room, who's kind of a bully to, to Billy he goes through three quarters of his appearance in the film, I think, without having a name. He just shows up and is, starts. He offers, he offers Billy a glass of whiskey during the montage after Billy gets a job at the toy store, and then the next we know he's bullying Billy because Billy never does his work. We still don't know what this guy's name is. It was so weird. No, and he didn't really leave his desk. No, that character. no, except to bang no. the other chick who you know. Yeah, <laughs> spoiler, he's not there quite so, yet. But, you know, it's yeah. Like... <laughs> But it, it does feel like there was uh, maybe not a lot of care given to the to the script, and this was maybe just tossed off as a as a cheap Halloween knockoff, you know. Like I said, like or like you said too, like it's a it, grab the holiday and stick a killer in it. Yeah, it, it was def, and that was kind of what was going on at that time of the year, right? Like there was you know there's Halloween, and then there was Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. and then there was like you know New Year's Evil. Um, prom night, you know, they, prom there was night, just yeah. what, any event, you know, April Fool's Day, any event you could detach a holiday to that you could do. It did, My the bloody plot didn't matter. They were all interchangeable plots. It was just they picked a different exactly. day and switched some names around. And that's kind of how people made money making horror movies for most of the 80s, arguably until A Nightmare on Elm Street came and mixed it up a bit, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, you want to like get into actually, you know, discussing the the point by point of the film? Sure, that might only take ten minutes. It's not a very long. <laughs> there's not much going on point by point, but I'm yeah. I'm I mean, there's it. not a lot here. Um, <laughs> I think I was more intrigued by the things that like stood out to me, um, or that grabbed my attention that were maybe not meant to grab my attention. 
Um, it opens with a the family driving in their car, and we find out after you know a little bit of time that they're off to visit. I think it's the the father's father or the yeah. so the child's grandfather. And we have a family in the car. There's dad driving, mom in the passenger seat. Mom in the passenger seat, by the way, has an infant just lying loose on her lap in this car as they're driving down the highway. Ah, the 80s. Which was, <laughs> yeah, right? That was, I guess, to be fair, that's that scene is set in 1974. Yeah. So that's even the 70s. So, I mean, that's probably realistic, but still, when you see that in a movie now, you're just like, holy shit, that's right, we used to do that. Did I wanted around the back of my grandfather's car, no seatbelt. Like, oh, yeah, totally. totally. So, uh, so yeah, they drive, uh, they're off to see Grandpa, and when they get to where they're going, we find out it's a mental institution. And uh, and Grandpa, I guess, has been apparently kind of like just not speaking, not communicating for some period of time. And when the doctor brings the rest of the family in to sort of talk about the, the Grandpa's medical reports, they leave the, the six-year-old kid with Grandpa for some reason. The reason, I guess, being that the plot needs this kid to be terrified by grandpa. Yeah. Who does a convincing job of being terrifying when he snaps out of his yeah, coma? Yeah, man. Right? <laughs> that, he was so into that role. Like, he was given it. Like, when he's talking to that kid and he's he's got, like, these weird, weepy-looking eyes. Like, there's almost tears coming out of them that he's... I couldn't tell if he's, like, crying from laughing or crying from being insane. Like, I will give it to that actor. He he gave it in that performance. That's Will Hare, is Grandpa Chapman. I'm assuming that's all right. The well, Will right. Hare, bravo to you. He killed um, it. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely killed it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he explains to uh, to Billy that Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year, mm-hmm. and uh, and that Santa doesn't just bring presents to kids; he brings presents to good kids, and that if you've been naughty, he will punish you. Kind of getting the Krampus legend mixed into things there. Yeah, right. right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's definitely, he's definitely thinking Krampus there. But I was also thinking that maybe this is why lying to our kids about things like Santa Claus is problematic. Well, because I, it leaves it open for someone like this grandpa <laughs> to come in and bastardize <laughs> what, we've, what we've told our kids, right? We tell our kids that Santa comes and leaves them presents, but maybe we lift out the fact that he beats the bad kids and now grandpa can come in and tell us that and then they ends up like the kid ends up arguing with his mom on the way back about whether or not Santa's gonna you know beat him or not I think he accuses him of maybe you know Santa's gonna come and torture his mom because mom's been naughty too there's that kind of moment right like he's definitely freaking out at that mm. point on the drive home um, and of course the, the next scene kind of sets the stage for the real moment that's which is santa claus robbing a store yeah yeah which i I thought was kind of interesting when i first watched i mean it wasn't interesting i knew it was coming but it was like that it was like just this guy who was robbing a store like you know what i mean like why would you rob a store in a santa outfit i guess because then there's an all apb out for santa claus but there could be like a bunch of santa clauses running around maybe that's what he's thinking he didn't really try to hide his face yeah i mean I would be surprised. My surprise would be that he didn't ditch the suit afterwards because yeah. that seems like the smartest thing to do, right? You know, rob a store of Santa Claus. They don't can't get a good look at your face. And then you just ditch the suit and nobody has any idea who you are. The fact that he kept wandering around as Santa Claus, I think, was the problem. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and for obviously quite a while because he obviously got into a vehicle, yeah, drove away and went far enough that it could break down on him. 
right? And then he still wears the suit. I got the sense that he didn't break down as much as he was like pulled over to the side of the road in the hopes of flagging someone down to rob them. It could be. It could be. I, yeah. I saw it as breaking down because I would just, yeah, either explanation. They don't really tell you, so it's just left up no, to the don't. viewer to, to interpret it which way they want to do it. Um, and then there's that moment of this this really violent attack on a family. Well, I do also want to mention, though, that he doesn't just uh, rob the guy. He, like, shoots the guy twice. Yeah. Clearly kills the guy who runs the shop, who, by the way, had a fantastic death face. He did. He was a very good death When he face. got that second shot, he's like, his tongue poked out a little bit. It was brilliant. <laughs> um, uh, and then he points out that, like, he just got, like, 31 bucks for it. So yeah. Like, <laughs> this man is clearly a bit of a sociopath because he's just murdered somebody over 31 bucks, and now he's like, what am I going to do next? Which, yes, tell us what happens next. Well, he, he either, he, either he breaks down or he purposely pulls on the side of the road Flags yeah. down the family, um, which you know our, our soon-to-be main character will is is in, and basically, and, and Billy, by the way, yeah, Billy is not having this whole like Santa thing. He's like, no, 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 don't stop, don't stop. Yeah, yeah, he's he's warning against it. He's being smart here, even though he didn't really know quite what was going on. But then they do stop, and it's literally the guy does the the, the robber killer dude doesn't even try. So like breeze, so he basically gets right into murdering this family. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Like there's there's like you say total sociopath, and then you know raping the mom. Yeah. All while Billy kind of gets out of the vehicle, but is still watching, and then proceeds to all to go looking for Billy. But Billy's off in the field. And he just kind of we don't really know what happens. The guy just kind of gives up on it or something like that. Yeah. Pretty much ends there and cuts to you know three years later, nineteen seventy. Seven, I guess. Something like that, where he's at the, the Catholic orphanage, basically. But that, that is the, the big moment children. in Billy's childhood of this killer in a Santa Claus suit murdering his parents, you know, while also raping the mom. Yeah. Um, and Billy Which, and, and his infant brother are then taken yeah. to this orphanage. And you're going to expect that to be traumatic. At least I would. Well, it it, it, it has to, it, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean... To be, so first of all, yeah, seeing your parents killed by anyone at the age of like six years old is going to be traumatic. But then seeing it done by this, 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 you know, Santa Claus, right? This icon of, of joy and happiness and someone who's supposed to come around once a year and bring you presents or maybe do exactly what he did to mom and dad if you're naughty. That's going to have an impact. So what is, what is Billy doing when we finally meet him again three to four years later? He's in the orphanage drawing a picture of Santa Claus, but it's like Santa Claus being stabbed and like a reindeer being chopped into little pieces. Then he gets sent to Mother Superior because of the painting or the picture. And it's like, do you think maybe you shouldn't be asking this kid to be drawing a picture of Santa Claus when his family was brutally killed by Santa Claus? Like... And he's had a history of acting out as Christmas approaches in the last three years, like every year, right? right? Like, it just seems like the 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 kind thing to do would be like let's let's leave Billy out of the Christmas festivities, baby. <laughs> you know, we'll can we'll give him a present. He can open the present in his room, but like maybe let's make the drawing Santa Claus optional. Right. You know, well, I don't know. But, but this is not some really kindly Mother Superior. No, it's not. That's true. She is like the mother of all evil 
wenches here, really. Like, yeah, but best of intentions, even, maybe, but kind of wrong approach to it. Like, oh God, totally, yeah. Right. But even it seems like even the kindly nun uh, is like, you know, well, I wish Mother Superior isn't so wasn't so hard on him, but it's the right thing to do, kind of a thing. Like, like Billy's got nobody watching his back in this movie. No, except his little brother, who does try to, you know, like be there for him and in the few limited scenes that he's in, in 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 this film like he's outside when they're building the snowman and he's kind of around but okay so i'm curious about that and i wasn't going to talk about that until the end but since you bring it up is there so have you seen silent night deadly night part two sadly yes is that how you know about his brother because i didn't think that there was any clues in the actual film in this film that it was the brother. Yeah, they, they, there's that a, there was a. It's a throwaway line, I think. Because um, I've seen it twice now. I watched it like you know a few years ago, and then when we talked about watching it, I sat down and, and, and you know I was mm-hmm. watched it again. Granted, I, I had many liquor drinks in me by that point because you know I'm watching <laughs> this again. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was, yeah, it was the brother. Um, and there's a line about him being the younger brother because I think it's something okay. like okay. The mother superior says something like, "Oh, you're you're a good boy, not at all like your brother." Okay. It's like a line all like right. that, but it, literally, that's all it is. I missed it, and the only reason that I knew that the brother is at the end of the movie is because I read the Wikipedia page, and the Wikipedia description of the end of the movie explains that it's his brother who's there at the end. Um, that's the only reason I knew the brother was in this, and I I think. I think obviously some of that does get filled in in part two because the brother is the killer in part two, right? Yes, yes. And they sort of expand his backstory and that sort of thing. But yeah, I was completely, I had no idea his brother was in this. It's not movie. the most well role that way, you know, like. I was waiting for him to show up because that, that baby crying in the in the car seat at the beginning is kind of like, that's through the whole attack. Mm-hmm. So you hear this baby screaming as like the, the dad is shot and the mother's raped and all this screaming's going on. And it's like, you feel like that baby's going to have a part to play. And and it barely did. Yeah, and it's again. It was like what we talked about. It was like just you know like a slap together script, right? Like they could have mm-hmm. really fleshed that out and had the brother more involved in the story. But I didn't think they expected anything to come of it other than making their their money back. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Exactly. Um. So anyway, uh, after getting trouble for his his picture, uh, Billy's kind of sulking in his room, and the the kindly nun drops by to encourage him to go outside and play in the snow with the other kids, which Billy finally relents and decides he's going to do. puts on his jacket. He starts heading down the hall to go outside, and and uh, hears some commotion in one of the doors that he goes by. Has a peek through the keyhole to see what's going on, and there's a couple in there uh, getting down with some sexy action, mm-hmm. which again I had no idea who those people were. I don't think they even tell you. No. And, and why they would be doing this in an orphanage during the day. Yeah, in a Catholic, in a Catholic are, orphanage. Know? Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess the door was closed, so there is that. But obviously, they're but, making uh, enough noise to attract attention, though. Like. <laughs> they attract the attention of Billy, and then they attract the attention of Mother Superior, I think, as well, who shows up and rips open the door and starts smacking them with a belt, yeah. which, again, who I don't... <laughs> I hope these aren't grown people that she's just beating with a belt. I think they were. They seem to be grown people. That they look like they're they're obviously somewhat mature to be engaging in that activity. <laughs> uh, and then Billy just tries to go on about his day, go back outside, try to ignore what he saw. But no, no, sorry, kid. You've seen something sinful. 
So now you've got to come inside and now you get to be beaten with a belt because of something you accidentally stumbled upon. Yeah. Because that's just, that's God's love right there. Setting the stage for so much wrong to come. As if that so hadn't much, already been done. You know? This kid has so much trauma. You know, if it had been a better written movie, it might have been interesting to have a character like Billy as a sympathetic, uh, crazy person towards the end. Because, yeah, clearly, like, none of this is helping him on his long-term arc of a, being a human being, right? <laughs> Um, the, uh, the mother superior tells the other, uh, the kindly nun, something like, you know, oh, you'll see how my methods work. Um, William will sit on Santa Claus's lap and behave. And then we promptly cut to Billy being dragged across the room, forced on Santa Claus's lap before he fucking Deck Santa Claus. With a very good punch. That's a solid, because Santa was a, went down, man. <laughs> that was an amazing punch. That was an amazing scene. I laughed out loud when that happened. I so didn't see that coming. It was brilliant. Um, And then Billy books it off to his room to hide in the corner. Um, Worst hiding spot ever. He's way out in the open. Yep. <laughs> and then, and then the, the end of this bit was really weird to me, because it seemed like somebody came in. We had no idea who it was, and they just said, William. Yeah. And then it was a total freeze frame, which is something I kind of miss from these old movies where they would just do the, the freeze frame. Yeah, the 70s was big with that freeze frame yeah. moment, right? Uh, so I don't know who that was. I don't know if it was supposed, we were supposed to assume it was somebody. It seemed weird that they called him William and not something else. I thought that was going to be relevant, but it wasn't. There's so much else in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we jump ahead 10 years. And uh, the uh, the good nun is trying to find Billy a job at the local toy store. Mm-hmm. Iris Toys, I believe it's called. Yep. Uh, the guy's like, well, I really only need somebody to work in the stock room, moving boxes around. And uh, I mean, he's got to be a big, strong, buff man uh, and not just like some kid from the orphanage. And so the nun is like, well, you haven't seen Billy. And so... So brings Billy in, and Billy is now turned into a big, grown, burly hunk of a man. He's a big dude. Like, he was, like, the actor, what was his name? Um, Robert Brian Wilson. Um, yeah. I don't know if he did anything else, but he was, like, he was, like, that almost, like, Hollywood leading man look. You know what I mean? Like, the, the boy. Yeah, no, he had a good look. Feature, strong dude. Like, must yeah. be, like, 6'4", easy. Yep, very hunky. And uh, and so, yeah, he gets the job, and then we are promptly uh, put into a long montage the, of the Billy. The worst, best song ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love, them. I love any, any film with a bad montage. Yep. Um, what was that? The Warm Side of the Door, I think, was the song. It was something like yeah, that. Yeah. It was awful, but so good. The, <laughs> its use in this film. <laughs> The one thing I found myself doing uh, during this whole montage is I was, I was fixated on all the toys in the background of the toy store because this I would have been uh, when this came out I guess in 1984 I would have been 11. Yeah. So I would have either like had some of these toys or else like been wishing for them, and so I recognized one of the ones that really stood out to me was there was a, a Jabba the Hutt yes Star Wars toy that I had, and there was uh, uh, a GI Joe. Halloween costume that they showed at one point that 
I can't remember if I had that costume one year or if I just saw it in the store, but I remember the G.I. Joe costume as well. That whole um, toy store was my youth, like just going into like the, the there was like a, no, it wasn't Toys R Us, it was Toys and Wheels here in Kamloops up at Aberdeen Mall. Oh, I think we had one in Williams Lane. And we were in there, and I just, yeah, everything, and I loved it. I had so much. That was like almost my favorite part of the movie. Every scene in that toy store for me was this giant nostalgia trip. Totally. Right? I loved totally. that. Like, that was almost my favorite part of the movie, was just being able to look yep. at all the toys and stuff for sale there. It was just, it was amazing to watch. Yeah, a nice little flashback to your childhood, eh? Oh, big time. Because I was like, I was 12, so like, and you were 11, so we're right about that right age yep. where we had just totally gleamed onto all that stuff. I was a big G.I. Joe Star Wars nut. Like, I had everything. Yeah, me too. Both me too. Toy line. So, that was great. That was a great part of the film. Yeah, I loved it. At the end of the montage, we're introduced to um, the, the, the pretty girl at the toy store mm-hmm. who Billy ends up kind of having the hots for. I didn't get her name. I, I don't, don't think. think she had one. And she... I think, according to Wikipedia, she does, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> um... Then the so Billy's mooning over the girl and the other guy in the stock room, who I think his name is, uh, I jotted this Bobby or something. No, well, Andy, Andy, Andy. Yeah. Um, he's like, the fuck do you think you're doing? So obviously, like Andy's got the hots for this chick too. Is like a little, what do you call that? Romantic triangle. Love triangle. Yeah. Love triangle. Yes. Um. And then, because we're getting close to, to Christmas time, Santa's in the store, and uh, and Billy sees Santa in the store and kind of freaks out, falls down. Um, and I noticed first, I don't know if this was intentional or just happenstance, but when he fell down, there was a product behind him called Torture Trap. <laughs> <laughs> and so... The problem I had is that, like, through most of that scene, he was sitting in front of it, and I had no idea what torture track even was. I'm just like, did I see the word torture on that box? And it looks like some kind of racetrack that had, like, a, a, a figure eight on it. But I was thinking, like, he's pretty tortured at this point in his life. And, you know, is there maybe a, a hint that's being provided by this product, or was it a an accidental happenstance that, that happened there? I'm thinking, just given how, like, that not much of this is clever... I think that was an accident, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, that's sharp, fair. That's fair. Smartly directed film. They would have. It would have maybe been taken more as like you know, like foreshadowing or, or like you know. Yeah. You right. Know, like, yeah. Yeah, but no, I don't. I don't think. So. I think it was strictly an accident. <laughs> um, and then not too long after that, the, the the guy doing the Santa Claus job, like sprains his ankle or something, ice skating, and he can't do it anymore, and so they need Billy to take over the job of Santa Claus. Dun, dun, dun. And because Billy has nobody asking his back, he's like, uh, I guess so. And so this is like this is a moment that I think was foreshadowing, because when, just before Billy is revealed, we see uh, a shot of the, the store owner and like his right-hand woman, and they're looking at Billy as he's just costumed up. And on the wall to the right side of the frame is very clearly a fire axe that very obviously gets used later in the film. And I was like, okay, that fire axe, that's, that's uh, Chekhov's fire axe right there. That's, that's coming back. Um, but yeah, he, he agrees to be Santa Claus, which I think that was probably the biggest mistake he made. 
Um, and then when he actually gets to be Santa Claus, that was pretty hilarious because he's just awful with these kids. He's horrible. They're all everyone else is happy, right? Like, right. I think even Toy Story guys like he's so good with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like he's it's so- the mothers are too, and it's because like the kids are getting on his lap, and he's literally like threatening them You're to the point where they're silent. You know <laughs> and the mom's like, "Look, he's so good with the kids." <laughs> but I mean, that feels like a weird, um, like a weird truth about that era, right? Like if you if you look at a family and you see kids that are like maybe a little too well behaved. <laughs> Probably those kids are getting beaten at home. Like, <laughs> right? There's some kind of violence going on underneath. Oh, those kids are so good. Don't know if that's what was intended by the director there, but that's definitely what it feels like in this day and age. It did because he wasn't even putting on like a pleasant look or ho ho hoing. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like, <laughs> kid, what are you doing? Stop it! Yeah, stop it! You're being naughty. You're going to be punished. Yeah, literally. Though that's his line. Settle like- down, Santa. <laughs> Um, uh, and then this is the last day of Christmas. So, um, at the end of the day, at at the end of the business day, the the owner closes the door, locks it up, turns around, says seven o'clock, it's over time to get shit faced, which, uh, that's a moment I can definitely relate. Absolutely. For many years working in the, you know, public service. Um, that's the way I used to feel about Christmas when I was, uh, worked in advertising departments and newspapers because we'd start building Christmas advertisements in October. Yep. So by the time, like I got to December, I was fucking done with Christmas. <laughs> um, so yeah, now they have a party. Um, the owner brings out all the booze, starts mixing drinks for everybody. It, it feels like this is maybe the first time that Billy's had a drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause he, he gives Billy a drink. It looks like rum and Coke. Uh, Billy drinks it and has sort of that little ooh kind of look on his face. But the owner's like, you know, stick with me, kid. By the time this party's over, you'll think you are Santa Claus. And then there's this little moment where right after that line, Billy looks over to the girl he's hot for. And like, she kind of nods at him as if to say like, you know, yes, alcohol is fun. You should keep drinking. Yeah. Uh, It's a really weird moment, but Billy got into it. And so he keeps drinking. Everybody's having a kind of a, it's kind of a dull party. It's only like five people there. Uh, and at a certain point, the the girl and uh, what did we decide? Andy, name? Andy, um, the stock boy, go go wandering off into the back room. Well, start at first they're making out at the end of an aisle. Yeah, and Billy sees that. And yeah, it affects him. You can see this if this look kind of comes over him at that point. He's a bit peeved about that. Yeah, well, that's some jealousy kicking. Yeah, up. some jealousy kicking up. Um, and then. As as Billy gets a little bit more in his cups, the owner comes over and uh, it tries to have like a friendly conversation with him. You know, what you doing? Billy's like, I'm thinking of my parents. And he's like, oh, you know, it's it's good for a boy to think about his parents on Christmas. And Billy's like, yeah, they're dead. And he's like, oh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, but then it, it, I can't remember what led up to the exact this exact moment. But he sort of gives Billy this like, go get him, Santa. Go get him kind of pep talk. And I felt like that might have been the moment that sort of tipped Billy over a little bit, yeah. you know, a little too literally. Go get him. He's been drinking. He's seen that his, you know, his, the gal he's interested in is with some other guy. Yeah. He's thinking about what happened to his parents. And, okay, I'll go get him, basically, is how yeah. that moment, right? Because at this point, um, Andy and and the girl have now moved into the stock room because 
uh, he has a special present that he wants to show her. Yeah, I bet he did. Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. <laughs> That's just some more examples of how brilliant the writing in this movie was. Where he's like, you know, I've been waiting to show you for a long time. Only those lines worked in real life. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those are the lines that some of my friends, some of the friends I had in the 80s would have actually tried using. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um so by the time uh billy gets in there though uh andy has sort of uh is getting a little on the rapey side he's like grabbing and squeezing and uh and the girl's not into it uh and she's like really pushing back and then um so andy just like rips her top open mm-hmm. which is the second time i think so far in this film we've had a top just abruptly ripped open to have boobs spill that out. was the mom was the first time the mom was the first. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's pretty much the point where uh, it's the point of no return for Billy. Uh, he's looking at this. He's furious at Andy. And he, he goes in and he, he, <laughs> he pulls Andy off of her, wraps a string of Christmas lights around, around Andy's neck, and then just lifts him off the ground with that. Yep. Until he chokes to death. Yep. She wasn't terribly grateful. No, she sure wasn't. That's the best way to put it, right? Which, I mean, it's you could argue that he went a little overboard with taking care of Andy, but I feel like her first thought should have been more like, thank you, and not, again, this is a quote, you bastard, you're crazy, get the hell away from me. Yeah, you think they'd be like, oh, thank you so much. You went too far. We've got to do something yeah. about this, but, you know, at least you saved me from being raped by Andy. At the very least, like, understand that this guy is currently, at the very best, coming out of a murderous rage. <laughs> you might want to be on his good side here. Yeah, just a titch, you know. But no, uh, so so she freaks out, and he, uh, what does he do to her? I, I know there was a hammer deployed at some point, but was it on her or on the guy that runs the store? The hammer was on the guy who runs the store. I think he might have just... Oh. It was a knife, a knife that went into her gut and then up. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, now that she's been taken care of, um, the store owner uh, hears something, drunkenly stumbles into the back, and he gets dispatched in a way that we don't quite see. And this was a moment that I, I kind of liked just because it reminded me of, again, of these classic horror movies where you'll see an attack, mm-hmm. but you might not see exactly what the weapon was or, or what the attack was, and, and that'll be revealed later in sort of a shock moment. Yeah. Which we get here when um, the the other woman who works at the store, you know, the lights go out suddenly. She's out. She's the only one left out partying. The lights go out. Um, she doesn't know where the boss is or where anybody else is. And then she goes into the stock room to, uh, to see what's going on. And there's the boss there with the back end of a hammer shoved into his skull. Yep. He screams, goes running out, tries to phone um, the police. While she's on the phone, Billy shows up. Oh, Billy grabs the axe that we saw. Yeah. And then chops the axe into the, the front counter there, and she screams and runs away. Billy gets the axe out and lumbers after her. At a certain point, I think she's hiding behind some presents. Billy is, like, walking along, and she manages to push the presents over onto him yes. to knock him down. She gets the axe. She's running for the door, and then he finds a bow and arrow somewhere. Yeah, toy bow and arrow, which was effective in a way no toy bow and arrow right? could ever be, right? <laughs> like, you know, 
I mean, they could have sold. I mean, they had some pretty effective, dangerous toys back in the eighties, though. Let's be fair. They did. <laughs> so I mean, you know, big guy, strong pole, yeah. flack, right? <laughs> like, a good arrow. Good arrow. Uh, yeah, goes right through her chest, and uh, and she's dead. Um, I recognized both of the actors here. She, I recognized from. She had a small part in Halloween Four, I think, at the very beginning of Halloween Four. Yes, she did. I think she was like. She worked at the the hospital where Michael Myers was being moved from. That's right. Oh no, she was one of the ones. She was one of the nurses picking him up. Paramedic, yeah, one of the paramedics yeah. or doctors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other guy I've seen in like he just seems like a character actor that has popped up in a number of other sort of eighties nineties films. Yeah, um, I can't place them right now, but they were the two most familiar ones. Yeah, yeah. That to me, anyways. I I looked it up actually. It's interesting that like the other guy, he retired from acting around like 2000 or something and and like started self-publishing a magazine about like growing plants or something in his oh, hometown okay. or different. something it was i don't know interesting oh, whatever <laughs> anyway so now everybody's dead uh billy well everybody in the store is dead there's still a town to terrorize and Which uh, so billy gets the keys to the store this is the thing is the the owner had locked the door too so they could party in there without having any of the annoying public coming in trying to buy toys so nobody could get out, um, but Billy has the keys now, so he's able to like open the door and get out with his axe. Um, then we meet. We get to the cops next, right? I think this is this is kind of for me when it like this is the part of the movie as a slasher fan you're waiting for. But it seemed to take so long to get there that this part it's almost like they rush through what should have been the bulk of the movie to me or more of the movie. Because yeah, I kind of I think the cops show up next because they hear the, the, the to me it's kind of like the cops just kind of suddenly know there's like a killer Santa on the loose. Um, oh no, so no, I'm sorry. We we it's the it's the couple on the pool table we get to next. I think <laughs> Linnea Quigley, who was actually a scream queen. I know uh, back in the I day. know that was one of her first films. I think right, who's topless through the entire scene. Yeah, yeah, good on her, which I was okay with. I was totally I was fine. Right yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they're making out on the pool table. This this uh, the guy and the girl. Um, meanwhile, there's a kid. Uh, she's babysitting a kid. There's always a kid being babysat in these. Always. Uh, who wants to stay up to see Santa? It's like no, go back to bed. Blah 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 blah. And then there's uh, there's a cat that's trying to get into the house, and she's got to go upstairs and and let the cat in. Meanwhile, the guy's like, uh, women and having to do things. I just wanna I wanna have sex. Uh. That's basically what he said. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> that moment. I didn't jot it down as a quote, but I think it's pretty close to that. Pretty close. Pretty close. Uh, so she goes upstairs to let the cat in. Uh, I felt like they were trying to do like one of those fake out scene things there where because she mm-hmm. opens the door and like there's no cat and you're supposed to be like, you know, oh, no, is the killer going to be there? Oh, oh there's I, I think it should have been like a jump scare where the cat jumps out and you're like, ah, and then the next second it's really the killer. Yeah. And instead it was just like the cat just walks in and you're like, oh, there's the cat. And then Billy just walks in and you're like, oh, there's Billy. There's Billy. And, and neither <laughs> no of those things were suspense. scary. Like, like there was no, yeah. no attempt. <laughs> he just walks in with the axe. He's like, I'm here now. And uh, so they have a, a brief tussle. Uh, there's some, yeah, uh, he must have had fun, I guess. It must be entertaining wrestling a half nude hot chick like that. I don't think it would have been a rough job at all. No. Like, I think that would have been a lot of fun. And it's got, that is the kill that is the most iconic from this film. It, it was I guess. Known for that yeah. Afterwards. She gets impaled on the uh, on the antlers of the, the deer head. Yeah. And that's, 
done again in Silent Night 2012. There's a scene where oh, okay. fuck, someone gets impaled on the antlers. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then Billy, I can't remember, does he hear what's going on upstairs? Does he just get bored? He kills the pool table, dude. Yeah, but Billy has I to come upstairs first. Yeah, he goes upstairs. And he's poking around and he like literally like walks right up next to his, the dead girl before even noticing she's there. It was so weird. Yeah. Um, and then he looks and freaks out and then, then Billy attacks him and they have a fight there and yeah, he ends up getting... Thrown out the window with a big chunk of glass through his belly and dies. One through his belly and one through his head. You see that yeah. when he leaves, walks by him. I missed the head one at first because it wasn't as clear when he was shown from way up top. But Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now, oh, and then uh, and then Billy, as he's leaving the house, of course, the little girl shows up and uh, is like, oh, hello, Santa Claus. Do you have a present for me? And, and Billy's like, I don't know. Have you been naughty? And she's like, no. And he's like, are you sure you haven't done anything naughty this year? And she's like, nothing. So uh, he let her live. So I guess the secret is lie to Santa Claus. Basically, yeah, right? <laughs> he does give her a bloody exacto he knife. He does though. give her a bloody exacto knife, which she does <laughs> look at it like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Um, <laughs> and then he leaves. And as she leaves, you hear the little girl calling... Uh, I think the name of the woman is Denise. Something like that. Yeah. He's calling Denise, Denise. So, you know, you're, it's just a matter of time until she finds the dead body. I think that's when the cops get involved, although we don't see it, because they're on the lookout for a killer Santa Claus yes. after that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and they spot a Santa Claus, a Santa Claus, <laughs> uh, crawling in through somebody's window. And they're like, oh, that must be the bad guy. I mean, structurally, from a from a storytelling perspective, we all know it's not. No, of course not. I mean, maybe in 1984 it would have been easier to pull that sort of thing off. But, um, but yeah, they go rushing into the house and uh, and try to arrest Santa Claus, and it turns out it's just the dad going in to try to. And they've traumatized the children far worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a kid that's got to grow up to dress like a cop and murder people now. Exactly. Is it going guns drawn? You know what I mean? Full, full on. Don't even listen to the mom. Just barge right in. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we have uh, uh, the couple of kids who are about to go down a, a, a sledding hill. My favorite sequence in the entire film. Yeah. Well, why don't you explain this is the it one then? I like? Tell the us most. about it. Well, no, just because it's these kids going to go down this hill um, on Christmas night, Christmas Eve. Bullies show up because, of course, the bullies are going to show up. You know, middle of the night, Christmas Eve, to harass these two kids, basically steal the toboggans. I will respect these two kids for standing up to the bullies. They do, and they stand up quite well, although they eventually do have to relent because the one kid gets punched in the gut pretty yeah. hard, which yeah. usually is what does it for, for anybody at that point. Um, first bully goes down at the bottom. He makes it okay. Second one's going down, and our pal Billy <laughs> comes out and beheads him, and just the body rolls down, <laughs> down the hill, and the other bully freaks out. Yeah, and then the head comes the bouncing head down after suit. it, yeah. Yeah. I just, I love that. I don't know. I love that. It's corny, but that's, that's what slasher movies were for me, at least after Halloween. Like, let's just give us some inventive and kind of corny, gory kills and that kind of fit the bill. That was definitely a fun death scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. So, um, so now, now the sun is coming up. Uh, we're at uh, the, the police station courthouse. We're introduced to this, uh, gruff looking old detective. 
At they least all I, are I, in those movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it feels like, because we're not actually introduced to him. He just shows up and starts doing things. We're left to assume yeah. who he is. <laughs> um, the the kindly nun, who I guess we didn't mention, just after the murder spree at the toy store, the nun shows up there because I think she heard that Billy was working dressed up as Santa Claus. Yes, she did. she's like, oh, this can't end well. <laughs> No, no, it did not. <laughs> so, so she goes to check in on things and finds the toy store full of, of of dead bodies, which I guess led her to the police. So now the that's how the police now know about it. And so, um, she's sleeping on a bench there. the The detective wakes her up, um, and uh, you know he says, "She says, do you have any news?" And he says, "Like you know, it's all bad." Uh, and then he said, <laughs> "The detective had this weird line that." He goes, everything he's done has a kind of logic to it. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) There's nothing logical about any of this. No. (laughs) But But, don't they deduce he's going going back or something? So that's the thing. Like that, that idea I think is logical, right? That if he's, if he's dealing with these traumas of his childhood and, and everything else that he might go back to the orphanage and, and take it to mother superior. So it feels like that line was there just so that the nun could go, Oh, that would be the next logical place to go. Yeah. But absolutely nothing that Billy has done up to this time has any logic to it at all. I just no, it's all very random and haphazardly put together by the writers and the director really like now we must kill a bunch of people is what it came down to right we've drawn people on for more than half the running time so we need to get down to it um so the uh the detective tries to call uh the orphanage i guess there is a uh a kid playing let's make dolly phone her mom on the phone and she doesn't hang the phone back up so now of course the phone at the orphanage is off the hook this is 1984 Every place only had one phone, and if the phone was off the hook, you couldn't get through. Um, so now he and the nun have to drive out to the uh, to the orphanage to try to get there in time. They've dispatched another cop, though. They have, yeah. Uh, and the yeah. cop gets up there, and uh, he arrives just as he sees the Santa Claus wandering up. And I kind of saw where this was going, too, but it was fun to watch. It was very <laughs> fun The sequence is very fun. <laughs> Because Santa's walking up to the kids, and the cop gets out of the car, and he pulls out his gun. He's like, stop moving. Put your hands up. Don't go any further. And then he shoots Santa Claus a couple times. Santa Claus drops to the ground. There's this kid who has a splatter of blood on his toque from Santa Claus that's just standing there gaping at Santa Claus, who's just been shot. And it, it cuts a couple of times to this kid. <laughs> His expression. I think that kid was Billy's brother. That might make sense. That might make sense. Yeah. But it's just like the, the splatter of blood on his toque and the kid just like, oh. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, and then uh, it cuts back to uh, the nun and the detective in the car where they get word that a man dressed as Santa Claus was shot and killed, but it wasn't the guy they're looking for because... The description is all wrong. <laughs> the nun is like, oh, God, it's Father O'Brien. <laughs> he was our Santa this year. <laughs> right, that's right. It's like the cop, the cop, the officer told him to stop. He's like, oh, Father O'Brien's so deaf, he wouldn't have heard a thing. He's like, what the fuck? 
It's like so perfect. <laughs> so, so anyway, the, the one officer at the orphanage gets all the kids uh, like gathered into the, uh, I don't know, the, the, what do you ever call the middle of the orphanage room there, the living room, uh, and uh, tells them to like close the doors and lock them up, and he's going to look around for the, the killer. Um, the, the kids, they sit, sit around singing Christmas carols while they wait for a murderous Santa Claus to come get them, which that seemed a little bit dark. Yeah, it did very dark, didn't it? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's celebrate Christmas while we wait for Santa to murder us. Uh, and then, uh, the, you know, the cop pokes around for a while, ends up getting, uh, chopped in the something. Head, gut. Yeah, somewhere. I don't remember. Uh, and then as Billy approaches the, um, the orphanage to, like, finish off the children, he, he fucking chops off the head of a snowman, which I was just like. That was perfect. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that's a little excessive, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> Uh, and so Santa gets to the door and because no one's told the kids to watch out for Santa Claus, some kids see Santa Claus at the door and it's like, oh, cool. Let's let him in. So she lets him in. Billy comes in. Uh, Mother Superior sees that it's Billy and it's like, oh, this is not good. Kids, get behind me. Get back. Get back. Uh, and then she kept saying there is no Santa Claus over and over. And I don't know what that was supposed to do. Like. She's right. Down. Like. Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. There is no Santa Claus. But she's been so ineffectual at dealing with anything to do with Billy at this point, it wouldn't have really mattered. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. It just seemed, yeah, like like she was trying to, like, wish him away. Like, Santa Claus isn't real, so you're not here. Uh. Uh, and anyway, he raises the axe to, like, chop her. And he gets shot in the back a couple of times by the detective. He dies. One of the things that, reminded, that I was reminded of in this movie is People used to die a lot more quickly in the movies. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no long bleeding out process. You know, when when the mother had her throat slit at the beginning, she was instantly dead. Instantly Yeah, there's dead. no... Even, like, the one arrow shot wouldn't kill someone. You know what I mean? But in those movies, they did. It was always, like, one stab, one yeah. gunshot, yeah. one... There's, nowadays, they draw it out like it would be, kind of. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, Billy gets shot twice, and he has enough time to say, You're safe now. Santa Claus is gone. As he dies. Because of course he would say that at that moment. Of course. And then the other kid, who turns out is, is Billy's brother, like points at Mother Superior and says, Naughty. Yes. Setting the stage for Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Yeah, and that's the movie. That is the movie. and it, Yeah. And you know, revisiting it, it really wasn't worthy of the controversy because it's just a crappy movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I should I should guess confess that like I I guess I enjoyed the process of watching it because there's definitely points, especially revisiting it in this conversation, that I was entertained talking about them. And I mean, not yeah. in the way I think the filmmakers would have intended, but no, it was in its own way and an entertaining enough film. Right, it's like a one-off watch. You see it, or maybe have fun with it with buddies and get drunk and high and laugh at it while you watch it over the Christmas season. But that's it. Like it was not worth the. I think if people had just left it alone, it would have just disappeared into obscurity. I think the reason we are talking about it is because there was such a controversy. Oh, absolutely, created a cult status, right? So it worked in favor of the film, as often happens with things like this. Well, and speaking about its cult status, which is kind of a, a shock to me too. You sent me a link today that, like, someone's developing a board game based on this movie. Yeah. That's bonkers to me. 
It is, but they, it's a company that's made board games like out of Evil Dead and other stuff, right? Like they do horror board games, but they've worked their way to Tyler Knight, Deadly Knight, I guess. <laughs> like, you know. I mean, I guess I can see certain franchises like the Evil Dead. I, I see that like that's a successful franchise. Friday the Thirteenth is a successful franchise. You know, Halloween is a successful franchise. None of they're not all particularly good films necessarily. But they're successful franchises. I, I I don't feel the same thing about Silent Night, Deadly Night. But maybe, maybe it is a, a bigger deal amongst cult fanatics than I realize, or maybe it has grown in appreciation more than I realize over the years. I think to a degree, but it's definitely not on. Never looked at on the level of a Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. or Friday Thirteenth or Halloween or even Chucky. You know what I mean? I think they way more captured the cultural zeitgeist than this does i think this is known amongst horror fans who like culty trashy yeah exploitation films right and i think that's it but- i feel like if any of them like the 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 one bit i know from this franchise is there's, there's this famous scene from silent night deadly night 2 where this guy gets a a, a handgun and he's like Laughing to himself, all evil, like ha 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 ha. That's, Bill, that's <laughs> Billy's brother. That's right. him, right? And then, Garbage you know, day. God, and he he that scene. <laughs> that scene. That's what I know. The literally until this movie, that was the only thing I knew from the Silent Light Deadly Night franchise because that's such a bonkers scene. Well, and he that movie. That's it's horrible. I've sat through it. Um, half the movie is just flashbacks to the first one. Yeah. And then the actor who plays the brother is just plays it so over the top, corny. So it's just a messed up film. Like, what's what's wild that I read last night is that the producers on Silent Night, Deadly Night Two originally wanted the director to make a sequel without shooting any new material. Seriously, he just wanted to use uh, outtakes and and material reused from the original shoot. He was like, no, just to make a buck as quickly yeah, as possible. Exactly. Right? Like, that was it. Ah. But it's it's horrible. The second one's horrible, and then like this kind of third, this three, four of them, three, four, five. There's five. There's five, and apparently four and five aren't related to the originals. Not at all. Yeah. It just kind of goes off on its own territory, kind of like what they tried to do with Halloween, with Halloween three. And yeah, different different yeah. stories in the season. So, uh, it's a minor franchise. I think it's remembered more because of its controversy and corniness than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I might I might consider watching the second one just because of that bonkers scene, and I'd, I'd like to see the, the general context of it, but it's not something that's drawing me particularly compellingly. No, it's not like you watch this one, it's like, I can't wait to watch Can't wait to see two. the rest of the franchise. I got to see how this wraps up. Yeah. <laughs> got to see the arc of the trilogy. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is what it is. It, yeah. it is what it is. Uh, but I mean, the, the important part to talk about at this point is whether or not it should have been banned. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. There's nothing here that makes it particularly bannable to me. No, uh, same. It was, it was, it's, a, it's, it's, can't say it's a harmless movie, but it's not worthy of the hysteria. Of what it was. People had just not protested it and parents hadn't freaked out. It would have been forgotten about. Well, yeah, and the irony is that, like, quite often, and I think this is definitely one of those cases, it's the it's the controversy and the freakout that draws people's attention to it and gives it the popularity that you don't want it to have. Exactly, which is quite often happens in moment with wanting to, you know, big public movements to stop something, yep. like, like a piece of art. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. It's just quite often the piece of art that they're trying to ban is is actually a quality piece of art. This case, it's not really it's a not really, piece of no. <laughs> at all. Not it's, really. it's a B movie through and through. I would say I would like to find out if there's a drinking game for this movie, and if there's not, I think there's one that could be conceived. 
What do you? How would you play it? What would be the? Well, um, I'd have to watch it again, but like, probably like take a shot anytime someone says Santa or or naughty uh, when he goes or naughty. naughty you know, Naughty's another drink. one. Take a drink if you see boobs. Um, what else? Uh, take a drink if you recognize a toy in the background. <laughs> oh, God, that whole scene would be like, I'd be hammered. It'd be like, one, two, three, four, five. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you know, if you've got some friends that you like watching trashy movies with, this is definitely one that uh, you could have some fun with. You could have yeah. a few drinks, smoke a joint, sit down and watch it. On like the Christmas, lead into Christmas. It's exactly. Put, I, you know, it's fine in the, ro- 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 the rotation of holiday films. Yeah. I, I would recommend people who want to see a better version of this to watch the 2012 Silent Night. Okay, um, it's it's of a quality. That this I might have one to check that out because I looked not. at it the other night and I, I was intrigued by the cast. Malcolm McDowell is always interesting. Oh yeah, and, and although like he doesn't King always King and... do great films, but he's always interesting in them. Yeah, he always tries, right? Yeah. And it's funny. I guess one final thought I had on Silent Night, Deadlight, watching it again is it's almost like a template for Rob Zombie's Halloween. In a way. In a way, yeah. Of, you know what I mean? The first half is dedicated to how he becomes this monster, and the second half is him doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Rob was a fan of this or not. But, you know, it's hard be to interesting say. to find out. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure something trashy like this is on his DVD shelf somewhere. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> uh, before we call it a, a, a night. Um, do you want to share any uh, socials or any promos uh, for your stuff where people can find you? Oh, yeah. If you're looking to find out more more what I do, I mean, uh, um, the Paranormal Network, which is on YouTube, it's the channel. It's got the black box, the white PN on it, um, at Paranormal Headquarters on Facebook. You can find me, Jason Hewlett, on there as well. I'm not the guy that's the comedian with the inspirational speaking gig. <laughs> you know, I'm on, <laughs> and I'm on Instagram at jhewlett72. Cool. Well, thanks again for being here, and thank you so much for introducing this uh, wonderful piece of art to me. <laughs> You're so very welcome. The pleasure was mine. <laughs> I had a great time. It was great to great to chat about this movie. I didn't I didn't know what mileage we would get out of it, um, but we got a lot more than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, feels, it feels like a good episode. It does. <laughs> all right, and uh, thank all of you for listening. Uh, my name is Todd Sullivan. This has been When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Until next time, go read a fucking book. <laughs>